Now we're good to go. All right, so today we'll be have the pleasure of hearing from Mr. Reg Noland, and his message is entitled By Design, Modeling God's Creation. Yes, I have returned from the land of the dead. Uh, so thank you for all your prayers over the last uh, couple of uh, weeks or so as we recover. Voice is almost back. Uh, you may or may not regret that. Uh, let's see how well we do today. Among our many titles that we have for God, he's often called the great designer. The Freemasons, not that I'm advocating Freemasonry, uh, they call God the great architect or the great geometer, hence the compass, the big G, and the square on their logo. As the great architect, God has imbued our universe with order and with structure, and we model our ventures on his design, then they are more likely to succeed than not. For example, throughout nature, <coughs> we see a preponderance of land beasts with, and birds with either two legs or four, whereas insects and arthropods have more than four legs. Hence, it's not surprising that most of our successful Inventions for mobility, our modes of transportation, our locomotion, are all modeled on these creatures. Two or, two or four-wheeled wagons or carts, cars, trucks, bicycles, etc., imitating the design of nature. While there are unicycles and tricycles and wheelbarrows and multi-wheeled semi-trucks in, in common usage, they are not quite as popular as the four-wheel vehicle, even though with three points of contact with the plane of the earth, the tricycle and should be a very, very uh, popular one since it's very, very stable, and very few could move a semi-truck once it came to rest, right? Interestingly, we can park four-wheel vehicles and leave them without them falling over. But two-wheel vehicles need a kickstand, a third point, the third point on the plane, I was telling you about a moment ago, in order to keep upright. Otherwise, they'll fall down. Likewise, bipodal um, locomotion, walking on two legs, requires more brain capacity, more ability to keep uh, it upright to maintain balance than does, say, um, the animals who are on all fours. Do you remember ever teaching a child to walk? What was that like? What was it like? Do you remember trying to teach him? First he had to learn to balance and then to uh, learn to coordinate his movements to produce mo uh, locomotion, to move forward. But once he learned it, you couldn't keep him still, right? He was, he was off and running. To the races. All right, throughout nature, let's see if I can, okay, hold on, I'm trying uh, my internet is down right now, so I had to do a PowerPoint this, on this one, I believe. There we go, okay. Throughout nature, uh, we see mathematical principles that work everywhere. Not only do we see the pr properties of geometry everywhere. Look, there's a circle, there's a triangle, there's a quadrilateral. Immediately I know all the properties of those objects. There's a trapezoid, there's a parallelogram, there's a dodecahedron, there, there's a uh, icosahedron, there's a, a sexahedron. Oh no, that's, that's a disease of all men. Uh, never mind. Uh, we've got <coughs> all of these different shapes that you have. We have, we see their properties, we know them immediately, and we're able to utilize that because of the, the properties that are inherent in it. But there are also mathematical sequences that are the basis for many, many things that go largely unknown as. 
On the board, on the, up here I have a very famous sequence named for the Italian mathematician Leonardo da Fibonacci da Pisa. Leonardo da Fibonacci da Pisa, sounds like a good Italian, who identified and explored the uh, sequence in great detail, where each subsequent term in the sequence, beginning with the third term, is the sum of the two previous ones. Hence, if you look uh, up here, uh, 1 plus 1 is 2, 1 plus 2 is 3, 2 plus 3 is 5, etc., all the way down the line. All right, so each, each of the numbers in the sequence after the third term is simply the sum of the two previous terms. You might think that something that simple wouldn't be all that important. Turns out it's everywhere. Um, many objects in nature obey the Fibonacci sequence. Flowers, for example, here, the uh, chrysanthemum or or some kind of flower, I don't know what it is, uh, has uh, petals, have, have Fibonacci number of petals. The pine cone, this is a, the top of a pine cone, and as you look at it, the spirals that are, that are formed here in both directions have Fibonacci number of petals in them. Um, the, the, these are flowers that have different kinds of Fibonacci number of petals. Like, for example, the lily of the iris, three petal, the buttercup, wild rose, uh, Columbine all have five petals. Um, I can't, uh, ragwort, corn, marigold, 13 petals. All of those different kinds of petals that you have in, in the, in the uh, and they all obey the Fibonacci sequence. Um, most plants have a Fibonacci number of leaves that come from a node. The number of petals on a pine cone or a pineapple are also Fibonacci numbers. The spirals of the seeds in a sunflower are Fibonacci numbers. Even the volumes of the chambers in the, in the nautilus shell are all Fibonacci numbers, and they obey this pattern. The branching patterns of many plants are, obey the Fibonacci sequence as a link to the bone joints in our hand. Did you know that? That if you were to, count, were to measure the length of the bones in our hand, there's a single unit here for the first joint, and the second uh, bone joint is twice as long, the third bone, uh, bone joint is three times as long as the first, etc. And the number of bones in our hands and our feet all obey the Fibonacci sequence as well. So who would have thought that a sequence this simple would be everywhere around us? Uh, furthermore, this is uh, another bit of interesting. If we take those Fibonacci numbers, for example, here I have uh, one square, and here's one square, so one and one for those the first two numbers. Then I make another square of size uh, two by two, and then I put another square beside that, which is now a length of three, two here and one there makes three, so three by three, and then three here and two more make five, so this is a five by five, and then this one is five and three more make eight, so I get this nice little pattern that emerges here. If I do a quarter turn circle in each one of these, it produces what's known as the Archimedean spiral. And it turns out that that spiral, this is the spiral pattern of all the, uh, of the arms of the, the uh, spiral galaxies that we have around us as well. Okay, we also have an interesting fact that if you take the ratio of two, cons two consecutive uh, Fibonacci numbers, for example, going back to my, going back to my Fibonacci, if I were to take the ratio of, say, 34 over uh, 21, that it begins to approach a very, very special number called the golden ratio. 
the golden ratio, which is about 1.618. And 1.618 turns out to be something that's very aesthetically pleasing and very sound arch architecturally. It stands up to the test of time. Um, yeah, people, uh, the, that Fibonacci number that with the size of these as a, this golden ratio is known as the uh, Greek letter phi. And it, uh, it seems to be aesthetically pleasing to human beings. Leonardo da Vinci used the golden ratio in many of his greatest masterpieces, including the Mona Lisa. Michelangelo did, other great artists. In the fashion world, the most pleasing faces are the ones with fa features that are proportioned according to the golden ratio. The ratio of the, the uh, width of the face should be about five eyes wide, for example, in the, in the ideal ratio. The architecture of the world's most enduring buildings, like the Parthenon, obey the uh, uh, um, golden ratio. All model after this natural ratio imposed upon the universe by its creator. So, when we look upon nature in the heavens, we do, not, do we not uh, see the mind of God? Is it not the, the mathematics that are involved reflecting that, that awesome power? So let's not be stupid. Let it, rather, let's or, uh, model our endeavors upon God's already proven designs. Now, have you also noticed another thing? God has aviators as well. Uh, birds and insects are our natural aviators. We tried to model our, uh, some of our flying vehicles on the, the birds, and as long as we stayed with two wings, we were great. But what happened to man? He thinks he can improve on God's design, so what does he do? He made a five or six winged airplane, and it collapsed miserably as a result. Uh, there's a lot of other things of that, of that nature. And which airplane models have survived today? Not the four-wing or six-wing or eight-wing models that we have. Only the two-wing models are the ones that are surviving, the fixed-wing model. There is, of course, the uh, rota rotating-wing uh, airplane, which, or what, which is the helicopter, but that's a whole other story. Let's, uh, so I want to draw your attention to simply a few scriptures here. And uh, the first one is Psalm 8. Three, when I look at your, uh, we all know Psalm 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him? Or uh, Psalm 19.1, um, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims his handiwork. Uh, uh, Hebrews um, 1.10, and you, Lord, have laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of your hand. Um, Proverbs 3, 19-20. Jehovah has founded the earth by wisdom. By understanding he has founded the heavens. By his knowledge the depths of, are broken up and the clouds drop down the view. What the proverb is saying here, of course, is that there is, we see in the heavens the knowledge, the wisdom, the understanding of God. That mathematical brilliance is, uh, underpins a lot of the uh, universe that we see. In fact, our universe is so finely tuned with 19 key constants that if even one of them were out of balance, just a whole, of just a tiny bit, the universe as we know it would not exist. Okay. Um, Isaiah 44, 24. What I want to 
And so says Jehovah, your Redeemer, and he who formed you. Notice, he formed you from the womb. I am Jehovah who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens alone, who spreads out the earth. And who was with me? Zechariah um, 21.1. Uh, the burden of the word uh, of the word. Of Jehovah for Israel says Jehovah who stretches forth the heavens and lays the foundation of the earth and here's the, the key part about this one forms the spirit of men within him so we've got clear evidence that God is the actual is the creator and he lets the the evidence of his creative creative power be clear in the design of his creation he's not hiding it from us it's there right in right in front of us. To my mind, it would be very hard to argue that we human beings could do better than someone who created the cosmos in the first place. That just doesn't make sense to me. But bow we go, messing where we ought not be messing, right? Uh, by fixing one problem, we create another. In the interest of profit, we splice genes and crossbreed plants for greater yield and higher resistance to drought or blight. And we breed animals for particular traits and are surprised by the unforeseen consequences of our action. We introduce a non-native species into a foreign environment where it has no natural predators and then are surprised when within only a few generations it dominates the environment. We experiment with unproven ways of extracting oil or other minerals and then are surprised when the groundwater becomes polluted or earthquake severity or frequency increase. With individual lifespans of less than 120 years, our human vision is by nature myopic. We can't see very far into the future. We are short-sighted, able to see really only the bottom line. So we do not see the eventual consequences of our decision. How dare we to question the wisdom of a timeless being such as God who can peer down through time and see the long-term consequences of, of that design. He made things the way they are for a reason that may be far beyond our grasp. As, uh, as Isaiah uh, 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are nor your way is my way, says Jehovah. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. God can see through time. He can see the consequences of our actions, of our design, and he can't. So when, when he has his design incorporated in it, he's already foreseen the consequences of all of those design elements built in. Rather, what we do instead, we may see, think we're doing right, as Proverbs 14, 12 tells us, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end there is, is death. Instead of doing, though, even though we have the best of intentions, the best of intentions, our best efforts might still lead, do something that in a, has a design flaw in it that would lead to our own destruction. Um, think about our current health and nutritional concerns. Many of us are now gluten-free people. Many of us are, are gone even grain diets and things of this nature as well. Um, but what has happened is this. We have altered our food so much that our bodies don't even recognize it as food anymore. It doesn't even recognize it as food, and it doesn't know what to do with it. So it either... Uh, attacks it as if it were some kind of uh, inviting, invading object 
or passes on out and we get no nutritional value for it. As a result, we eat our fill and are still starving for nutri nutrition or the body rejects the food with, as an allergic reaction. Uh, look at this one, Micah 6, 13 to 15. Therefore, I have made you sick by striking you, laying you waste because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied, and your casting down shall be in your midst. And you shall take hope, but it shall not matter. And that which you deliver, I will give up to the sword. You shall sow, but you shall not reap. You shall tread the olives, but you shall not anoint yourself with oil. And sweet wine, ah yes, but uh, shall not drink the wine. Again, look what has happened. We are, we have, are producing food in abundance. But the food has no nutrition anymore. So that we eat our fill and still starve to death in a bin full of plenty. It doesn't make sense. Instead, doesn't it make sense? Instead, to learn from the design of God that God has set before us. Consider our bodies, for example. Notice how symmetrical they are. We have two eyes positioned forward for stereoscopic vision to allow us to see depth, to see multiple points of view. We have two ears for listening, to hear both sides of a story. But we have only one mouth for speaking. I think we ought to take a lesson from that, right? We have only two, one mouth for speaking. So the ratio should be what? Maybe five to one or something of that nature? About input to output. Uh, we have two arms and hands for working, two legs and feet for walking, two kidneys, two lungs, two nasal passages, symmetrical teeth. Imagine how hard it would be to eat if your teeth were not symmetrical. I'm beginning to experience that. Uh, okay. But uh, we have only one heart to be given away. One brain, although admittedly it has two hemispheres. And since I'm a bit left-brained, uh, people say I'm not my right mind. But that's a whole other story. Uh, we have one stomach. And I think that's significant too, right? Doesn't it tell us something about how we should behave? Further, consider... Counter to what the LGBT uh, community asserts, we are designed for heterosexual relationships. One husband, one wife, anything else is contrary to the design. Don't care about what your interests are. It is contrary to the design of the body. It is directly in opposition to the indicated will of God. And the consequences of acting contrary to that design reach unto eternity. Look at 1 Corinthians. Do you, know, do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, or adulterers, or abusers, or homosexuals, or, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revil revil uh, revilers, nor extortionists shall inherit the kingdom of God. This is, by the way, modern King James Version that I'm reading from. It's a little bit more in our vernacular, and the language is a bit more abrupt in some cases. We can also see from our physical design as a metaphor for God's intended social structures. For example, consider Paul's analogy of the church into the body in 1 Corinthians uh, 12. Okay, no, don't have it. All right. All right. As uh, 
For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For also, uh, for also by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether bond or free, even all were made to drink of that one spirit. For the body is not, uh, not one member but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? No, we need the hand, we need the foot, we need, the, we need all the parts of the body. Okay. Um, uh, and if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, am I not, part of, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If all the body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If all hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set members, each one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. And if, we, if they are all one member, where would be the body? Okay, just want to make sure where I am. Um, and now, but now indeed there are, indeed many are the members, yet one, uh, only one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. All right, but rather, much rather the members of the body seeming to be weaker are the ones that are more ne are necessary. And those members of the body which uh, we think to be less honorable, on these we put more uh, abundant honor around them. And our unpresentable members have more, uh, have more abundant pr uh, propriety. Okay. Um, for our uh, presentable members have no need, but God tempered the body together, giving more abundant honor to the member having need. That there be that there not be the vision of the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Uh, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. For if one member is glorified, all the members rejoice in it. And you are the body of Christ and members in it. This design analogy is most apt here. For as separate parts of the body, we are all dead. If we were separate arms or limbs or eyes or things, different organs scattered around and not connected together, we'd all be dead. We'd all be dead. Only when we come together and function together as the body of Christ do we become a living entity and can progress. A healthy body does not war against itself. Rather, all members work together, each performing the role for which he is most suited to purge out the infection and to restore wholeness. We need to acknowledge what we are. I, a few years ago, I gave a message on how to find out what your gifts are, how to find out what your role is. There's a little inventory you can take on how to go about doing that and finding out what your role is as well. Okay, go to, um, Paul makes the same or similar sorts of comments over in Ephesians. And truly he gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the working of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of the Christ. And this until we all come into unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God to be a full-grown man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. So... That we no longer may be infants tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Let's not be thrown about. Um, in the dishonesty of men, in cunning craftiness, to the wiles of deceit. 
There's a lot of deceit going on out in the world right now. A lot of very persuasive bad arguments out there. A lot of convincing evidence, quote unquote, presented to try to persuade you to something that is essentially not true. The thing that is bothering me most, I guess, right now is this ancient astronaut theory that we came, that we're all descendants of aliens who, uh, who seeded this planet with life uh, billions of years ago. They're willing to accept the idea that aliens could have been our ancestors, but not willing to accept the idea that God is our father. So to me, that sounds, that's just utterly ridiculous, but... I am, like the cow in the cornfield, utterly amazed. But uh, so, we are no, so that we may no longer be infants tossed to and fro and carried about every wind of doctrine in the dishonesty of men and cunning craftiness to the wiles of deceit, but that you, speaking the truth in love, may in all things grow up to him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitted together and come back uh, fitly joined together according to the effectual working and the measure of each part, producing the growth of the body to the edifying of itself in love. Okay, in his design for the cosmos, God has provided us a model of order, of structure, of relationship, and of behavior. If we are willing to humble ourselves and to think that we know more about the universe than the one who created it, if we are willing to submit to instruction and to learn from the design model that God has provided, if we are ready to align ourselves with the will of God, then our ventures will have the same success as that of our schoolmaster. However, if we run contrary to the will of God, if we fight against his design, then we can expect the consequences that come with self-will. Let's go back and look at the blueprints. Let's follow the design. 